0: Good to see everyone out this morning. If you are visiting with us, we are continuing in our study in the book of Proverbs. And if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to open up to Proverbs, the third chapter is where we have made it to. Proverbs chapter 3. As we have discussed, this quarter we are primarily looking at Proverbs chapters 1 through 9, Proverbs chapters 1 through 9, and this month we have been going through the first couple chapters and just setting the stage for the story and the basis of these first nine chapters. And beginning in verse 8 of chapter 1, we see here, my son, your father's instruction, forsake not your mother's teaching. So the setting is a father, along with the mother's teaching, but the father pleading to his son. This is a one-sided conversation. A father stressing the importance to his son of wisdom and attaining wisdom. And not just any wisdom, but godly wisdom. Graceful garland for your head, pendants for your neck. And so we see the contrast taking place time and again, remembering Proverbs means a comparison. And so we see the comparison continues to play out between wisdom, the path of God, the path of life, versus folly, the ways of the world, which ultimately lead to our destruction. So the path of folly, a destructive path, the father pleading, son, you don't have to destroy and ruin your life. You can observe other people who have already done so and just have the prudence to know that there are consequences to your action. Chapter 2 is what we covered last week. We saw in the first couple of verses there of chapter 2 the nature of our seeking of wisdom. And what was, in the first five verses, what do we learn about our attitude towards seeking the knowledge of God? <clears throat> yes, sir. Be
1: observant, and active.
0: observant, active. It's We're not going to find the knowledge of God By accident, we're going to have to strive for it, seek it like silver, search for it as for hidden treasures. And then in verse 6 of chapter 2, we learned where wisdom comes from. Now we have to seek it, but we could never find it on our own. It's not something that we could ever attain on our own. It's still the Lord who gives wisdom. So that God is still providing. God is the source, the authority of wisdom. And this knowledge and understanding comes from his mouth. And what comes from our mouths? Words. And so words, the Word of God, is where we come to find this knowledge and understanding. And then throughout the rest of chapter 2, we see the comparison between the protective nature of the wisdom of God, guarding our paths, looking out for us, watching over the way of His saints. We mentioned both this external protection from the wisdom of God, but also an internal peace, an internal protection. Wisdom will come into your heart. Knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. So we see this transformation from the inside out taking place, changing of a perception of what's pleasant to us and what we will find joy and fulfillment in. Versus walking in the ways of darkness. And then in verse 16 was introduced the adulterous, forbidden woman. And we observe that her path started with words as well. So each path, it begins with words. And each path is a, a progression. It's a process. Whether we seek and find the wisdom of God, that takes time, that takes time living our life and experiencing these truths firsthand, or if we approach Lady Folly, that path is slow as well. It's a slow cook, if you will, to be caught in her trap, which ultimately leads to death. had a quote, and I'm not even sure who this was from. I got it out of a book and didn't write the a uh, guy who said it but nothing ever becomes real until it is experienced even a proverb is not a proverb until your life has illustrated it so that's what we're talking about wisdom is applied knowledge and godly wisdom is this applied knowledge and understanding of God God is a god of truth and so are Actions outwardly need to reflect our inward pursuit and desire to seek God and to understand His truth. So that sets us up for chapter three. And before we begin with chapter three, let's go to God in a word of prayer. Most holy and heavenly Father, we are so thankful to call you our god. We're so thankful for this avenue of prayer made possible by your son. We are considered blessed and honored to be your people. And we pray, Lord, that this morning that you would open our hearts and our ears and our minds to hear your word and your truths and to rightly apply these truths to our lives so that we may be ever transformed into the image of your Son. We're so thankful for Jesus. We're so thankful for the hope that's found in the cross and his resurrection. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Okay, so I'll begin with just reading verse 1 through 4, and then we'll go back and make our, our observations. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck, write them on the tablet of your heart. So you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Okay, what are some observations to be made from those first four verses of chapter 3? What's that? Recipe Recipe for long life, length of days, years of life, and peace they'll add to you is that an absolute peace is that's one thing we haven't talked about in this class so far but are proverbs always true it's a tricky question but it's it's important proverbs and what we're reading and studying these are general truths And we'll talk about that a lot more in these first uh, 12 verses or so. In general, this is the ideal and the wisdom of God will lead you to an ideal, the most prosperous, abounding life that you could have. But, and as we'll take a look a lot more at later on this morning, hopefully, time and chance happen to us all. Ecclesiastes Ecclesiastes chapter 9, as Solomon records here and there. So, in general, yes, length of days and years of life, as opposed to the path of folly, absolutely. That path is destructive. What else do we notice? What's that? God will be pleased? You know, verse 4, finding favor and good success in the sight of God. So we will find favor from God and from man. You know, hearkening back to that graceful garland for your head and a pendants for your neck. This is something that in the sight of God and man, people will see us. And we will be honoring of God in the way that we live our lives. But other people will look to us and say, hey, um, that is an admirable quality in general. Yes, sir?
1: statement
0: that says, do not forget my law. Yes, do not forget, which implies that we, we can. It is possible. We can forget, and that's important. Even godly people can forget. You know, last week, and we see this in the beginning of every chapter here, almost in uh, the first nine chapters, but those two words, my son, I made the observation last week that there is a practical exercise or observation to make from that is that we need to to be having these conversations with our children as well, or the people who we are uh, of influence on in our lives as the father or the mother But, you know, there's another side of that, too. My son, do not forget my teaching. And, you know, it might be important also to be able to view ourselves as the son. Regardless of our age, regardless of our gender, uh, my son. And we all can fall victim to forgetting the teaching of God. But rather, let your heart keep these commandments. What about verses uh, verse three? Steadfast love and faithfulness. Let them not forsake you. What do you what do you think that means? Yes, ma'am. Mine reads a little bit different. It says, "Do not let kindness and truth." I like better. Yes, ma'am. Um, kindness and truth. Um, What version is that? New American Standard. Yeah, if you think about, you know, that idea of steadfastness and faithfulness, um, God is steadfast and faithful. He has proven himself over and over throughout the pages of history. And... But here we see in verse 3 that we are to reflect that steadfast love and faithfulness. We are to reflect that kindness and truth in our lives. And who do we reflect that truth and that steadfast love and our faithfulness, our loyalty, as some versions might read? Who is that toward from our end? Exactly. Towards God and our neighbor, which is all of mankind. And so verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. What do you see there? Something easily said, hard to do. Easily <laughs> said, hard to do. Scripture,
1: we've heard of all our lives in the church, but we still
0: And what's the what's the pro, the core of that problem? Why is it such an issue? Selfishness. Selfishness, pride. Yes, ma'am. Sometimes man's wisdom makes more sense
1: to people than God's wisdom. Until you actually follow God's wisdom,
0: then you see the end results for social media. Why does man's wisdom seem... Right. uh, Man is seeking his own lust and his own desires and as humans, even as godly wise people, we still have a limited perspective compared to the wisdom of God. So at the end of the day, our vantage point of what's in front of us is a limited perspective compared to God's wisdom. And so do not lean on your own understanding. And we're, we're all in need equally of God's guidance in our lives and God's wisdom to protect our paths, but we won't all heed that call. And that's what we've been talking about so far in the first few chapters here. Not
1: a generalization, this is very specific. If if you do this, this will happen. Right,
0: yeah, this is not a generalization, that's true. Yeah, there is an obvious path. There are obvious consequences, positively, to the path of God, and obvious negative consequences to the path of folly. Um, and to kind of continue on that thought, Miss Cheryl, you know, God's instruction, God's discipline, God's plan for us might often, at times, be very different than what we would choose. Um, but it's trust, you know, trust in the Lord, trust that, that God's wisdom is timeless. God's wisdom has been put to the test, and he has proven himself over and over and over again, and so we're not, that steadfast love and faithfulness of God is not going to stop with us, and we have to know that. We have to trust that. We have to have faith in that. And realizing that this faith in the path of God's wisdom, this faith and our trust in the Lord, is not a blind faith. And that's what we've been, we've made that observation already, but he has proven himself, and so this is a trust that is absolutely grounded in the truth of, of God Any other thoughts there?
1: <clears throat> hmm mm-hmm.
0: It's that descriptive of the kind of faith, the level of faith we're going to have to have. And you mentioned Peter in that situation. Uh, And and I think about that because what did Peter say when they asked him, do you know this man? And he said, woman, I I do not know that man. And there is some truth to that. In In a sense, he didn't know who he was. Because if he did... He would have had the, the founding of faith that would have took him through and he would have professed that he did know him. And it's easy to to pick on him in that situation. <clears throat>
1: <clears throat> if we look at ourselves and look at our own understanding or our own wisdom, it just pulls us away from God. And if we mm-hmm. realize
0: Yes. And, and God has, not to neglect that God has given us a mind, he has given us an intellect and an ability to make rational decisions, but yet, in all your ways, acknowledge him. What does that mean? Cheryl? Um, I was
1: just going to say that Solomon, God gave Solomon wisdom. I mean, he didn't always use the wisdom. Yes.
0: Um <clears throat> David, you know, King David, man after God's own heart, obviously made poor decisions. And so we're constantly having to reevaluate and reassess where we are on this path. And in all of our decision making, whatever decisions come up in life, we're constantly having to yield to God's ways. And to acknowledge that God's ways are higher than our ways, Isaiah 55. And despite, you know, it may seem counterintuitive to take this path, we've got to go through it anyways. And you think of Jesus and the cross. You know, that didn't seem like the best plan. Jesus didn't want to do it, but he did it. So, and he did it because of his trust in God. And so we see here that the father is stressing to the son, trust in the Lord, don't forget my teaching. And, you know, if the father of this son, take this as an earthly perspective, if a father knows what's in the best interest of his child, how much more so does God know what's in our ultimate best interest? And... You know, a great, maybe a parallel passage to this that's come up a lot in the study of this is James chapter 4. Um, I'll turn there real quick. James chapter 4, verses 13 through 16. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make profit. Yet, You do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, If the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. So again, pride, arrogance, our selfish desires. And all such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him, it is sin. So not to acknowledge and give God the ultimate consideration in the different decisions we're making in life. Failure to do that is sin. Is what James is saying. Any thoughts, comments on that? <clears throat> say if the Lord wills um I don't know if I have a good answer for that. Brother Chip do you have a response to that? I'm gonna put you on the spot. You seem like you'd have a good answer for that.
1: I think that uh, it's in your heart. It's, yeah.
0: Yeah. To yeah. It's like saying the Lord's prayers like well what's what's the motive um I know what you mean, you know, we always say, well, Lord willing. Well, if you didn't say that, are you in trouble? Um, I don't think, maybe this. It's a phrase we have never heard before. Yeah. Yeah, I, I definitely think it's a, it's a matter of the heart, and, and the Lord knows our hearts and, um, and, and our intentions. So, be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord, turn away from evil. Healing to your flesh refreshment to your bones." So again, healing to your flesh, refreshment to your bones. Yes, in in general, this will be a more productive life for you, a healthier life. Um, I believe the King James Version in verse eight says, uh, healing to thy navel and something about the marrow of the bones. And that's really interesting because that's echoed in Job chapter 21, um, describing someone who has lived a long, healthy, prosperous life, that his pail was full of milk when he died and that the marrow of his bones were moistened. That's something we don't often talk about, but that verse 8 might throw someone off um, a little bit. So just an ideal, again, an ideal path that that God would have for us and that the father would would want, any father or mother would want for their child to make a productive, uh, positive decision and take a good path. And last point on this trusting in the Lord and acknowledging His ways is what I'd mentioned earlier. Ecclesiastes chapter 9. Time and chance happen to all. So even if we live a godly life and pursue scripture, time and chance is still going to come into play, and you never know when that's going to be, so it would be foolish to not acknowledge the Lord's ways and to acknowledge his wisdom because there's still a, a variable that is outside of our control. It's beyond the here and now. And ultimately, are our decisions that we make going to glorify God or or not? Okay, verse 9. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof, for the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son, in whom he delights. Verse 9 and 10, what are some observations? What do you see in verse 9 and 10? There's a trusting,
1: trust factor because you don't know how much harvest you're going to produce. But if you do it in faith from...
0: First part or the beginning. then it will bless you. And does this mean that if we tithe that we'll be rich? Some people
1: say, it does, but no, I don't think so. Uh, Do
0: you have a comment? Yeah, yes, ma'am. Yes, Yes. Uh, the Lord knows that you have need of these things. Honor the Lord with your wealth. Um, Acknowledging God that all that we have, as far as uh, take financial gain, it's not ours. It's all the Lord's anyways. We are merely stewards. We are distributors of the Lord's money. And that there will be a judgment of how good of a job we did in that task. And 2 Corinthians chapter 9 is a, a great um, reference to this uh, point of is this financial or spiritual blessing. Um, Paul says that the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Okay, so we reap what we sow. And then in verse 10, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food, that's God, will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. So it's God's money anyways, but we're not talking about a financial gain. This is a harvest of righteousness. And so our blessing is just to bless the world around us. Does that make sense? That, that's the only reason God blesses us, is so we can divvy this to those who are in need. And we'll see that again uh, later on in this chapter. Then, verse 11 and 12 do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof, for the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father. The Son in whom he delights. um, What does it, what does the Lord's discipline look like? (laughs) The Lord's discipline.
1: Most people (laughs) attribute this to something bad happening. Could be something bad
0: happening to us. Absolutely, could. Could be a trial. You bet. Does it always have to be catastrophic and negative? No. I, I would. I would suggest the discipline of the Lord. If if we're paying attention to the ways of God and seeking His knowledge and understanding the path that He would have for us, we're going to make decisions that are contrary to what we would have made, uh, maybe in our former lives. So This discipline of the Lord is just a corrective measure to keep us and to guide us along a more protective path. His wisdom will guard our steps. What does it mean to despise the Lord's discipline, or be weary of His reproof. Or can you think of any biblical examples of that? Yes, ma'am. Uh, well, there was a, a time of Job, you know, and really, Job was being disciplined; he was being
1: tested. But still, he—he
0: he, what? I just mean Yeah, Job is a obviously a great example, Um, and Job, back to chapter, or verse 7, Job, the beginning of Job said that he did fear the Lord and did turn away from evil, but yet, when it comes to despising the Lord's discipline and being weary of his reproof, Job got tired and weary of the reproof of God, and I believe it was Elihu who reminded him of that, and hey, this is the Lord disciplining you. And then Job's wife. You know, as far as despising the Lord's discipline, what did Job's wife tell Job to do? Just curse God and die. Just get it over with. This is ridiculous. But yet, the Lord approves him whom he loves as a father the son in whom he delights. Um, You know, this is quoted in Hebrews chapter 12. And if you remember, what was the the main point of the book of Hebrews? The nature of those people. Yeah, Just perseverance through trials. It was written to, to Hebrew Christians who are in danger of, of falling away because of the trials that they are experiencing. So do not be weary. The Lord is reproving you because he loves you as a father and the son whom he delights. And that's a sobering thought.
1: Yes, it's absolutely,
0: it's, it's instruction. Uh, but we've got to be willing to receive that instruction, and that's what we've been reading about in these first few chapters. Um, but take the negative connotation, take the something catastrophic happening to you in your life. Solomon, again, in Ecclesiastes chapter 7, if you remember in verse 2, he says, it's better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. For this is the end of all mankind, and the living will lay it to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter, for by sadness of face the heart is made glad. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. It's better for man to hear the rebuke of the wise than to hear the song of fools. For as the crackling of thorns under a pot, so is the laughter of the fools. This also is vanity." And so, in life, there seems to be an unavoidable grief that is going to come, but we can use that good grief, that godly grief, to turn us to thinking about the things that are most important in life. And ultimately... What is our motivation? God loves us, so what's our motivation to love him back and to not despise his his reproof? Um, Psalm chapter 119, about verse 67, uh, the psalmist writes, before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. You are good and do good. Teach me your statutes. The insolent smear me with lies, but with my whole heart I keep your precepts. Their heart is unfeeling like fat, but I delight in your law. It's good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes." So sometimes in life it takes this reproof and this rebuke of the Lord and His ways to to put us on the right path.
1: Coming before David and rebuking him. It wasn't necessarily something
0: bad that happened to David, but he was rebuked. Great
1: point. Yes, sir. Yeah. Why is that the
0: case, is that what you're saying?
1: they're not being used the way God intended them to be used. He goes on and talks about the meats that they're eating. Some of you eat meats that are sacrificed to idols, and there are others in the the congregation. That really offends. And yet you're so callous about it because you know that those meats don't mean anything. Those gods don't mean anything. But you say, these people need to get over it. That is why you're weak and you're sick and some of you're dying. And the Lord suffers just one of the many things in that church
0: They were suffering from um, spiritual. one. So let's continue on here. Uh,
1: Verse 13 through 18. Blessed
0: is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. For the gain from her is better than gain from silver and her profit better than gold. What are your observations here in these verses, talking about the the blessing of the one who finds wisdom?
1: Jerry? I think it could be expanding on 9 and 10, where we looked at that, and it's really simple to go, oh, well, wealth means money, barn means bank account. Look at wealth in a lot of different ways, and this is specifically saying silver and gold are not
0: really for yeah, there's something beyond silver and gold absolutely um, and just as you reap what you sow your barns will be filled with plenty you mentioned verse 9 and 10 that's what you will sow is a, a an abounding in the work of God and and a bounty of that harvest of righteousness which is beyond just merely financial gain. The gain from her is better than gain from silver, and her profit better than gold. You know, our lives are all about return on investment. You know, yes sir, Brian. Return on investment. We put money here, we expect something in return. That is the way this world works and operates. But here we see Solomon saying the gain from wisdom is better and her profit is better than, than any investment that could ever be made. And that's quite a, quite a claim. Brian? Right. It's a great point, and it's that inward peace that we can find that is, is more precious, and, and, and a peace that will bless us in our lives now, but also in the life to come. Yes, sir. Interject here, yes, guess, sir. I think
1: of the, all of the attitudes where Jesus talks about blessed are. I mean, there are mm-hmm. several things he lists. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Mm-hmm. That's what He says It's so opposite of what we would think. And, 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 and all those <clears throat> other things that people are blessed, blessed are the merciful. They're going to receive mercy. Um, blessed are those that are persecuted. They'll receive Brian's comment, another comment, too. it seems this chapter is about trusting in God that he will deliver. And so in the life to come, we'll be very, very rich. We'll be blessed with eternal life. But even in this life, if our mindset is correct, that that's what's most valuable, then we know that whatever our circumstances, we, um, can, be, we can be content and be at
0: Do you have a comment? I was going to
1: say real quick, you put of it. Yeah, sorry. The thoughts. You, know, you think about all the teaching that Jesus did in parables, and you talked to them in a way that you know, it was intriguing to them, but if they didn't really want to try and understand, they didn't get it. But I feel like a lot, of those, a lot of things we're reading are similar in that way in that level. Right. And
0: then, as you live your life, you start thinking, "Well, I really consider it, and think, you know, what What I have is better than this."
1: So you kind of get the truth of. No, yeah, sir. Great point. Yeah. Thank you, everybody, for the comments One of